Well, good morning. It's good to see you this morning. Good to see those of you who are joining us online. Welcome. This morning we're starting our Advent series, our Christmas series, entitled Emmanuel. God is with us. God is with us. And the title for this morning is The God, the God Who Is With You. The God Who Is With You. Woody Allen said showing up is 80% of life. I don't know if he was famous before that, but I think it's about the, the most famous quote he's known for. Showing up is 80% of life. And uh, the other 50% is doing the job, right, when you get there. Um, my dad, when he was younger, and when I was younger, he often didn't show up. Uh, he wouldn't show up for dinner. I remember a lot of dinners sitting at the table with my sisters and my mom, and dad wasn't there. And over time, you just kind of get used to it, and you just accept it. There was a 6.03 p.m. bus that would stop at the corner, and I would go out to the edge of the yard, and I'd look down to the corner, and when it would come by, uh, my dad was on it maybe 33% of the time. But two-thirds of the time, he wouldn't get off that bus. And so I would know that the next one shows up at 11 o'clock at night, and I probably would be asleep for that one. And hopefully, he would be on that one. Um, when I moved to Orange City with my kids, it was expected, when we put our kids in the public school, that parents had to go to everything, as it probably is in most communities in the Midwest. But growing up, my dad literally never came to one thing of mine between kindergarten and graduation, including graduation. I remember sitting in graduation and just before the lights went dim, I just kind of looked, looked around again, looked behind me and no, he, he wasn't there. I thought maybe for my graduation he would show up, but not then. And then after I graduated, I, I went away for a while for several months, I was gone. My dad called me one day and he said, hey, why don't you come home? It's better now. And I, he didn't explain it, but I knew what he meant because my mom had told me. Since I left, he hadn't taken a drink. It had been like two months. I was like, what? Like not a drink in two months? Never in my life had this ever happened. And so a month or so later, I, I did go back home. And after that, it got better. It actually got better. Instead of drinking every two, three times a week, it'd be every two, three months maybe, I'd get the call, hey, can you come pick me up? I'm at the Burger King on Mount Hope Avenue. Oh yeah, that Burger King. My sisters and I would go there and pick him up because he, he knew not to drink and drive. But after that, it did get better, so much so that he showed up for my wedding. He actually came to my wedding. Now he and mom were a little late, but they were there. I had no doubt that they would be there. And then for my college graduation, he showed up. And my ordination, he showed up. The birth of my first child, my daughter, he was there. He showed up. He was there all day waiting for her. And then 18 years later, he even showed up for her high school graduation. He showed up. Then five years ago, I showed up in his hospital room at 1 a.m. And my, my siblings and my mom were already there. And we spent eight hours, I spent eight hours with them, the last eight hours of his life. And through the night, I, I couldn't help but think, boy, Dad, you are spoiled. You know how spoiled you are. You know all the shenanigans you pulled in your life? And here you are, 
83 years old. You don't even know what's going on. Taking your last breaths. Every one of us is here. Because we would not be anywhere else, right? You wouldn't want to be anywhere else. We were all there around him as he took the last breath. And I just thought the irony of his life, the beauty of how it ended up because we were together, we were together as families. We didn't have the daggers out. It was great. It was peaceful. The relationships were good. In Isaiah 7, 14, it says, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Matthew in his gospel quotes that. We're going to read that in just a minute. But you know, it's always been God's intent to be with his people. It's always been his intent to be with his people. That's why you're all here this morning. When some would say, you know, don't gather, you decided to come. Better part of wisdom? Uh, we'll find out, right? We live in a tension. One pastor is uh, infamous for d- defining, and maybe it wasn't him, he probably got it from somebody, the difference between a problem and a tension. A problem is something you can solve. A tension you just have to live with. And we've lived all year in this tension where on the one hand, don't get together with other people. You'll either get the virus or you'll pass the virus. And on the other hand, it's bad if you don't get together because there's a lot of other negative effects. And so we've been living in that tension. And some days we feel more pulled this way and some days we feel more pulled that way. And we pray to God for wisdom, right? But we live in that tension. God has never lived in tension in terms of his being with us. Even at our most sinful selves, God is with us. God is with us. Let's just stroll quickly through Scripture because I want you to see it's always been his intention to be with his people. So it wasn't, a, it wasn't like an aberration or a surprise at the incarnation that God came in the flesh. Back in Genesis 1, it says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, like us. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God saw, that, saw, saw all that he had made, and it was very good. It was good. He made people that he could be with and that could be with him. In Genesis 2, we got the first family. And just like the Trinity are three in one, God says, a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and the two become one flesh. Like God, in his image, we like unity, we like togetherness. In Genesis 3, it says, the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. What did that sound like? I have no idea. Don't you wish you could hear it though? The sound of the Lord God walking in the garden of Eden? I bet it was a beautiful sound. But they hid because the Lord God called to the man, but but the Lord God called to the man, where are you? This isn't like you. Adam, Eve, where are you? Oh, oh, you ate of the tree. Mm. Ouch. The first, I'm not with you. God didn't say that. Mankind said that. Adam and Eve went to hide. But that didn't stop God. 
He said to Isaac, Abraham's son in Genesis 26, I will be with you, Isaac. And then later on in that same chapter, he says, I am with you. And God said to Jacob, Isaac's son, go back to the land of your fathers and to your relatives, and I will be with you. Then Jacob said to his son Joseph in Genesis 48, I'm about to die, but God will be with you and take you back to the land of your fathers. In Exodus 3, Moses says to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I'm going to be with you. I'll be with you. To the Israelites in Deuteronomy 31, actually speaking to Joshua, but with all the Israelites present, the Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He'll never leave you. He won't forsake you. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. Joshua 1, the Lord says to Joshua, no one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. The Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. In 2 Chronicles, farther into the historical books, there's Jehoshaphat, the king, and he's gonna lead against this army, this big army, conspiring against them. And the Spirit of the Lord came on Jahaziel, this prophetic word he spoke to Jehoshaphat. He says, listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours but God's. Go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. In Isaiah 43, the Lord says, Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. Now, finally, we get to the New Testament. Does it continue? We already read it in Matthew 28. Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And in 2 Corinthians, Paul writes, encourage one another and be of one mind, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. To the Philippians, he says, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. And to us in John 14, to his disciples and through them to all of us, Jesus says, if you love me, Keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he'll give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. And then you get from Genesis 1 all the way to the second to last chapter of the Bible, the end of Revelation. And it says, I heard a loud voice from the throne from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. Genesis 1 and 2 and 3, God created them in his image and he was with them. And at the end, he says that his dwelling place is going to be among the people and he'll dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. The intent of God all along is that we do life together, together with him 
and together with one another. But this has been a different year. We've had to do life together separately. (laughs) We've done life together, but it's been mostly and often apart. Not always, but a lot. And if not, we've been encouraged to be apart. So we look at each other with suspicion. I look at Dan. Dan, do you have the virus? Do you have the virus? Just kind of stand back. Look over here at uh, Aaron. Aaron, do you have the virus? Do you have the virus? Oh, I'm going to stand back from you. This new guy from Pella here. Do you have the virus? I don't know. Maybe he's got the virus. We look at each other. But we trust. And we greet each other. And we're with each other. Why? Because this is how God created us. But we also distance. And we wear a mask. Because we love and care for one another. Why? Because it's how God created us. It's been This has been a tough year on every segment of society. On kids, the amount of kids that are going in for mental health uh, challenges and illness has increased during the pandemic. Teenagers, uh, teenagers they, they say could be among the hardest hit because teenagers rely on their friend network. They rely on their relationships. You kind of, without completely detaching from parents, You somewhat detach and you attach to your peers, to your friends. And your parents are praying that you pick good ones. But then when that gets cut off, and early on it was hard for you guys. In March and in April, school just got canceled, no activities, don't go to each other's houses. Some of you did anyway. You're still here. But why? Because that's how God made us to be together. Young adults as well um, describe rising levels of anxiety, depression, and even suicidal thoughts and increased substance abuse, according to the CDC. Already this year it's happened. The elderly, especially those with Alzheimer's, the impacts are widespread and they're significant. They're they're already seeing uh, more agitation and suspicion and marked declines in people with Alzheimer's. Visitor bans in nursing homes and other facilities makes assessing the health of your loved ones all that more challenging. And some of us have lost parents or grandparents. And we wonder, did the isolation um, accelerate it? We don't know. And in general society, there's significant evidence to suggest the importance, I like this phrase, this, this comes off of a of a healthcare website to suggest the importance of socialization and and connectivity and maintaining a good mental well-being. Well, that's the understatement, isn't it? Now, we knew this with with our mom after dad died and she was home literally in the house 168 hours a week all by herself unless one of us would stop by. She had zero relationships outside of her four kids, like not just a couple, like zero. So nobody was there. And so when we put her in an assisted living facility, uh, which eventually turned into a memory care unit, we were happy because there were people around her. We don't think she would have lasted near as long. Something would have happened in that house. Things were already happening. But, But the isolation, the isolation without any conversation and face to face with other people is really bad on people. And that's why, that's why um, 
or what are those isolation, solitary confinement units, uh, are so, that's so radical and that's like when all else has failed, we just can't have you around anybody else because you're such a danger to others. But it's really the last thing you want to do because all by yourself makes you go a little bonkers. And isolation is not good. We know that. Somebody texted me this after the first service. They were watching online, and they remember this quote from years ago, and they've never forgotten it. Older people need so little, but they need that little so much, so much. So Jesus, in Matthew chapter 1, gives us an example of showing up for people and the, the encouragement to us in this beginning of this series on God with us, is that we would be with each other, is that we would look out for each other. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, it's not going to be on the screens, but I'm just going to read verse 18 to 25. You're familiar with this, but think about, think about this passage in light of God with us, in light of how much we need God in light of how much we don't like being alone and we like to get together to be encouraged by others, and the state that we were in before Jesus came. It says, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law but he didn't want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to just divorce her quietly. But after he had thought about this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. In fact, she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, the one who saves because he will save his people from their sins. And then this phrase comes in verse 22 that, that repeats often in chapter 1 and 2 and 3 and throughout Matthew. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. And then he quotes Isaiah 7:14. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means... God with us. That L at the end of Emmanuel is where, where you hear the word Elohim, God. It's not Emmanuel, A-L, it's E-L. It comes from Elohim. It comes from the, the plural word actually for God from Hebrew. Emmanuel, God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. God himself, and, I, and I've always thought this, it's, it's one thing for people to aspire to be God. For us to aspire, we want to be deity. But for God somehow to scrunch himself down to become humanity, well, continuing to retain all of the attributes and powers of deity was a real feat. I mean, to scrunch himself down to the conception, to going through um, pregnancy with Mary and through the birth canal and being born and growing up and learning and growing, 
never relinquishing deity, but maintaining humanity at the same time is, is crazy. This is an example for us of how we're to be there for one another, that we're to, we're to get in each other's space. We're to, we're to come alongside each other. I, I was able to meet with a number of people this past week, but it was one-on-one where we were able to talk and come alongside each other and have a conversation. That's so important. That's so much different from me standing here on the platform and talking at all of you, right? I mean, where we sit down and, and I'm talking to one person, and I have your name, and we talk about our lives, and we share. That's so important. That's what Jesus did, because when he came down, he didn't come down like a, like a dish satellite and just kind of hover you know, a couple hundred miles above the earth so that he could be available to all of us and we could all just kind of download the signal. I mean, he literally, he did it the hard way. He came as a baby and went through the whole process just like us. But he came to be with us. You've heard me talk about a number of times my, my son Doug and, and his accident but probably the most significant conversation I, that I can remember, the most emotional conversation I had during that uh, experience was the one that I had with my son, Joel, and actually with his wife, Samantha. It, it had been really important for us when Doug was in the hospital, especially in ICU, that one of us, one or more of us was there 24-7. Because, you know, the doctors and nurses come in, and my family are these people, and they come in and they do their best, but they're not in the room all the time. And you know this, but as a family member, you want to be there because the staff, the doctors, nurses, and whoever's there, sometimes they miss something, and you want to be there to catch it. But then when Doug came out of the coma and was awake, it seemed like it was even as important that we be there, somebody be there with him so he wouldn't wake up or look around and think that he's there all alone, he's by himself. So Joel and Samantha came to me, and they said, we've made a decision. Joel is going to quit his job in Detroit, and he's going, to, he's going to stay here with Doug throughout his rehabilitation and recovery, however long it is, six months, nine months, whatever it is, Joel is going to be here with him. He's going to room with him. He's going to stay with him for the long haul. They had just gotten married several months before that, and Samantha said to me, you know, we're going to look back on this years from now, and it's just going to be a few months in the first of what will be many years of marriage for us. And I remember I just sat there and I cried. I, I, was, I was overwhelmed with thankfulness that one of my boys would love the other one so much that he would put his new marriage on hold and he would just come and he would be with him and help him when he was helpless to help himself. And I knew then, I knew that I could leave, I could go back to work, I could rest, I could carry on with my life, all because I trusted my one son with the other. Three months after Doug stood up as Joel's best man, Joel would willingly put his marriage on hold to help his brother get his life back. Because they weren't only brothers, but they were also friends. They weren't always friends in high school, but they were now. Jesus said to the father, getting back to Jesus. He said to the Father, let me go. Let me help them. Let me deliver them from sin and death and hell. I will do it. I will go 
and be with them. I will give my life so that they can have theirs. He not only calls us brothers and sisters, but he also calls us friends. God sent his son to take care of us. And in doing that, he says to us, take care of one another. As I have done to you, so you do to one another. Probably not a more important time, probably not a more important holiday season of our lives to reach out to people and to be there for people than this year because of everything that people have gone through. And not even just the pandemic, but all kinds of stuff related to it and unrelated to it. At the end of this pandemic year, who will you be with? Who will you call or visit to love and encourage? Who will you be willing to give up some of your time for so that they can experience care and concern and love from somebody else into their life? God is with us so that we can be with others. As we go through this series, God with us, we're going to look at the different ways and from different angles that God is with us because he is. And when we get in trouble is when we forget that. I asked the first service crowd, have you ever gone shopping with your spouse or your, your significant other, your boyfriend or girlfriend, and you're in a store and you're, you kind of get separated a little bit and you're looking at stuff and you kind of get in your own head and you're looking at stuff and you forget you're even with her or him. And, and you actually walk out of the store and get halfway across the parking lot, go in your vehicle and remember, oh, I came with them. Have you ever done that? Yeah, me neither. Because you'll be in big trouble if you do that. Can you imagine if you ever did that? Your, your husband or your wife would be like, wow, I see where I rate, like down here. We would never do that with our spouse or our boyfriend or girlfriend. But we do that with God sometimes. We're like, we're, we're in our own head and in our own space and in our own situation. And we just forget that God is there. And we think it's all up to us. Like God's slipped away singing, I'm leaving it all up to you. Ooh, ooh, ooh. But he never does that. But when we get in trouble is when we forget that God is there. And throughout this series, we're going to talk about how God says, I will be with you. And they will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. We're, we are going to, uh, we're going to have communion now so if you will reach around where you are in the back of each seat, there is a little holder with one of these. And it's always a little bit of a challenge for everybody to find one. So I'll just give you a minute. And when you find it, the first thing you want to do is lift off the clear plastic top to reveal the wafer. Jesus came to live among us. Sometimes we think that he only came to die and to be raised again, but not really. If that were true, he would have come down as an adult and had a speedy trial and taken care of business and then went back to heaven. He came to live among us. God wanted to be with us. As bad as we were, and as bad as it turned out, humanly speaking, for Jesus, 
He wanted to be with us, or he wouldn't have lived his entire human life, 30-something years with us, if he didn't love us and want to be with us. But he also came to save us and to declare victory over sin and death and hell. And he did that through the cross. And that was uh, validated, and God authenticated that with the resurrection. The resurrection, the power of God to raise Jesus from the dead. The only one who's ever been raised from the dead till then and since then. And we're guaranteed resurrection because of his resurrection. But he wouldn't have been raised if he hadn't have gone to the cross. And he went to the cross and sinful men put him on that cross. And when we share in communion together, as Paul received instruction from Jesus, we do it to remember him. We do it so that we don't forget the sacrifice. We don't forget the love that Jesus had for us. So let's pray together before we take these elements together. Our Father, we thank you. We thank you for the love that you showed us on the cross. We thank you for our Savior, Jesus Christ. And Lord Jesus, we remember, we remember the nails and the pain. We remember the embarrassment and the humiliation, the mocking and the insults, the beating, We remember the betrayal. We remember the garden where you in anguish cried out to your Father and yet we're still willing. We remember the suffering of you, Lord Jesus, our Savior. We say thank you. Help us to somehow in some way appreciate the vast expanse of your love for us, that you would come from heaven to earth to die for our sins. And we do proclaim your death. We proclaim it as your victory, your victory that brings real life. And help us to be like you, Jesus. Help us to be willing to give up for the good of others. Jesus said when he had the Passover meal with his disciples, he took the bread and he broke it, and he said, take eat, this is my body which is given for you. Let's take it together. Says at the end of the meal he took the cup he said, this cup is the new agreement, the new contract, and it's signed in my blood. It's in my blood. It harkens back to the covenant God made with Abraham when he put Abraham into that deep sleep and the animals were ripped apart and the smoking fire pot passed between the sacrifice, signifying that it was a one-sided, unconditional covenant between God and Abraham. And Jesus said, this is a one-sided, unconditional covenant. And all you have to do is believe in me. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Luke wrote in Acts, Paul and Silas said to the Philippian jailer, and you will be saved. Let's drink it together.
Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for what you did for us. God, help us to go and help us to be with others, whether it's through a phone call, a Skype call, a Zoom call in person, a a, a text message. God, help us to be with others, to share your love, and to just share humanity with them. In Jesus' name, amen.